there, it's Adam Knox here with another episode of The Cult of You. So today we got a nice new piece, and uh, not that it's really new, this was a recording that I did um, at the Spiritualist Center out in Krugersdorp some time ago on a subject called Quantum Prayer. Now, one of the things that's always interesting for me was, or something I always had a problem with rather, was this religious obsession with worshipping the deity. Like, was God that insecure that he needed constant validation? But after studying and testing out and working, because the same thing was true in ritual magic, you would still glorify the entity. I learned that there is a bit of a process of evolution in terms of how we learn to control the mind or master our inner sources, you know, recognizing that divine is really within ourselves. You know, in, in the early levels, we use an affirmation. You know, an affirmation is everything I want flows to me. So it's a statement of what I desire inside of the present. Then we use incantations. An incantation is when I add emotion to it. So I hallucinate it first and then I add the emotion to it. So it's more visceral in my nervous system. And then there's the idea of gratitude. So to add a very certain positive emotion, we will add gratitude to it. So we will literally go, hey, I am grateful for all the abundance. I'm grateful for this. And this is good, but it's always a little bit restricted because it's based upon the concept of is true or not true. So one of the things that we learn if we watch good film is that we can give up all our own personal limitations and our own version of reality. And we can seep ourselves into another version of reality and we can emote it. So what if we could utilize that part in order to help restructure our nervous system actually? And the fact is we can, and I call this technology, so to speak, of the mind, quantum prayer. It's an understanding on how prayer fundamentally works in order to capitalize on reconditioning consciousness through the utilization of hypnotic language, storytelling, and devotion. Because again, if I say I'm grateful for this, I'm limited to what really is. But if I go and say, how glorious are you that dwells within me? And I know I can say God, I can say devil, I can say whatever the hell I want to. You know, it's still the unconscious or the super conscious of these different aspects of the self. I'm attributing something that isn't consciously in my awareness or should I rather say, isn't within my conscious limitations. It can step outside and not be the victim or the subject of those limitations. So uh, that's part of the beauty and I can attribute qualities to it, which allows me to engage those states and bring them into being. Now, obviously we go very in depth with this in the, the section on ritual magic or the art of ritual magic inside of the cult. But I wanted to share this lecture with you because I think it's a very valuable idea and I hope you really take advantage of it. But, you know, that's all for me for now. Please sit back and enjoy today's podcast on the power of quantum prayer. And again, I'm your host, Adam Knox, with another great episode of The Cult of You. And remember to live deliciously. I want to start off with the uh, with an idea that's been playing around in my mind, and that's this notion of uh, every man and every woman is a star, a statement once made popular by the infamous magician Alistair Crowley. And for a long time, I, I thought it was cute, I thought it was beautiful, but I didn't really pay that much attention to it. And still, I started taking this concept of each and every one of us 
having our own realities a little bit more seriously. You know, for a very long time, I was, I was living my own life, and I was doing what seemed to be completely normal to me. The way I quality of my relationships, the quality of my experiences, the quality of my business life, all these different things was very normal to me. As, in the, as I'm sure certain things are very normal to you, but then we start having conversations with other people and you realize that your version of reality is very vastly different from theirs. You know, the kind of experiences that you may manifest are completely different from the kinds of experiences that some other people manifest. Now, I've always had the great benefit of coming out of spiritual families and having, you know, I was born in a very controversial, you know, I had a very young, crazy life. And at a very early age, I found spiritualism and I found all these beautiful things. So the notion of a spiritual <laughs> reality was a very normal one for me. So the idea of being able to speak to spirit or have that contact with a higher intelligence and have that force in life was very, very normal. And then I meet people that have almost what seems to be no connection, you know, whatsoever. And the entire notion of a higher influence or even manifestations is outside of their realm. I've even read the works of other magicians speaking of spiritual phenomena in the most strange senses, um, I remember laughing at one author the one time with a friend of mine because it was a book written on the evocation of spirits. And the only proof or the only evidence this individual had was at one point, after a ritual, he looked in the mirror and he could have sworn he saw a little bit of a light glow. I'm like, that's interesting, but you know, in our versions of reality, that's it's not really what we would consider phenomena. But then I started taking this idea very seriously and I started realizing that each and every one of us is a reality producing machine as Dr. Joey Dispenza also points out. And it's the reality that we are producing that's the one that we're going to be living. I always say what's most real to you becomes most real for you. And that's a very powerful key. But then I started wondering, why is it that we don't always have the reality that we want. And I realized it's, it's the attachment. It's the nature of suffering in itself is the attachment. Specifically, here's suffering in a nutshell. Suffering in a nutshell is when a relationship ends or something that you want is not there. And it's, it's the disconnection of where you are and where you want to be. That's suffering really. You know, or so, it's someone you loved or it's something you love that you are somehow divided from. And suffering is the period that you are attached to that. That you are attached to that this is separate and you're not going to get there. Or this is no longer part of your life and you, you can't have it. That's suffering. Then I realized as I looked through this thing that the liberation of suffering was the difference. People that had, that lived in a new reality or people that evoked a different reality or different experience made a decision to. And the Latin root for making a decision is to cut off from. Which means they were able to cut off from the old version of reality that didn't serve them. The version of reality that somehow separated them from what they wanted to be or what they wanted to experience emotionally. 
And that's the truth for each and every one of us. We suffer for as long as we see ourselves separate or that which we want is outside of ourselves. Now, as a, well, a lot of people have a misunderstanding when they look at the notion of being a magician, especially because Hollywood is, you know, paints a very interesting picture of who we are and what we actually do from late nights in the forest with skulls and bones. And trust me, for the most of it, when we're doing that, we're making a movie. You know, we don't always run out with crazy things like that. But there's some things that the old magicians had that were true secrets to the architecture of new realities. That's what magicians were about. That's what we all really are. We were architects of reality. And when we became aware that we're producing reality, we said we might as well learn to do this consciously so that we have more control or more influence in this. So at no point do we say that I'm going to teach you to be a magician. At no point do I say I'm going to teach you to be a ceremon do ceremonial magic or anything like that. It's not possible. You're not... You can't become a magician. You are a magician. You are a creator and a producer of reality. This is what you are. This is your default state, your default power. The only difference is it's learning to do this consciously instead of unconsciously as we've been conditioned to do. You see, marketing and advertising, there's a very simple process in making us produce realities that serve them instead of us. It gets us into a peak emotional state you know, by amping us up, by getting us emotionally amplified. And then it anchors or it links the product or the idea to it. And what happens in our brain, that happens in our neurology, is the brain says, feel good state, whatever it is, love, arousal, freedom, sympathy, whatever. And then links up an idea. The back of the brain makes that idea a symbol, or what we would call in the magical world a sigil for this. Now we have sigils in our unconscious mind that represent entire relationships. The person you are in a relationship with is a sigil for you of love, a sigil for you of intimacy. Now that bank card of yours might be a sigil of a lot of pain or it might be a sigil for you of wealth or abundance. Same thing with that car, that house. It's sigils, it's symbols in the psyche that represent certain emotional states. And that's what we're actually fundamentally after. If you study success sciences and you study personal development, you're going to realize that what we're all after is not the car, is not the money, is not the sex. It's the feelings that we believe all these things are going to give us. It's the emotions and this reminds me of the Gospel of St. Thomas, the leading sayings of Jesus, when he says, Seek ye the kingdom of heaven within first, and all else shall be added unto this. And that, that made a bell go off to me. And I started realizing that it's not, it's not that thing. It's not the symbol. It's what it represents to me. It's that emotional current that I needed to invoke that we needed to align with. And this has made me understand the magical structures that we were learning much more deeply. You see, the entire structure for ceremonial magicians, the, the pathway of ascension, if you will, is very elemental. It's very specific. The first stages magicians go through is what we call the elemental schools. And in the elemental schools, very fundamental things happen to their identity. The psyche shifts from where it sees self which is this hologram that we produce in the mind, as it's just 
my car, my family, these scattered ideas that can come and go at any moment, to something a little bit more eternal, something a little bit more lasting, something that has a bit more control over. And then suddenly self becomes love, or self becomes joy, or self becomes spirit. You know, first self becomes the element, but once it's progressed through these elements, and by the way, these elements match up perfectly with our model of human development in psychology, the Freudian idea of king, warrior, magician, lover. We move to a new phase in our development where we start seeing self as Venus, self as Mars, self as whatever, and essentially self, me, becomes the sigil, the symbol for joy, for love, for wisdom, for power. So now I'm no longer desperately going out in my world looking for a sign, looking for meaning, you know, like some vagabond lost and desperate going, maybe if I, I find love there, maybe, there, and I'm always desperately seeking, and what does that energy of desperate do except put us all off? It's the person begging, you know, that's not actually contributing value to your life, that you don't, you can't, you can't help but be repelled from that. You, you're only drawn to those that already have. You're drawn to, is we're all drawn to the, those that have more. People that don't need the approval, people that are magnetic because they're confident, because they're radiating a grace, that they're not just trying to get something from you the whole time, but they're able to contribute because they're full. This is magnetism. This is the magical power that we talk about. That's natural inside each and every one of us. Now, as I kept exploring the magical traditions, I found all these interesting ideas. I learned uh, enchantment. And in the old Bibles, they said that do not let them speak for they would put a curse on you. And one thing the magicians have was the natural ability to use this increased energy that now comes from their energy not being externalized, but now being internalized, making their words and ideas more magnetic to us. But also the way they structured language was almost hypnotic and how it could guide the mind to these places. And the further I studied, the further we explore, the further we walk this way, we find another idea, and that was the idea of rituals, spells, ceremonial magic. Also something each and every one of us do, because even though this sigil, this idea might represent love to you, there's a sequence that has to happen for you to get there. For example, falling in love, maybe you see a person and you say something in the back of your mind about that, and then you suddenly picture something that happened when you were younger, or you recall a memory of the two of you, and suddenly you're in that place. That's a very specific sequence the brain goes through. And if you change that up, you're going to get a different result. You're going to get a different energy that you're going to evoke, that you're going to summon. So these all became very valuable. And then the thing that frustrated me for a long time as I studied the magical arts and as I practiced was this notion of prayer. And the reason it frustrated me is because I had a very logical mind at that point. I was trying it because I came from a very extreme spiritual and I wanted to be grounded. I wanted to be realistic, quote unquote. 
So I was very frustrated and I said, now how does this thing of prayer, if it's all this consciousness and energy creating reality, what is this notion of faith? What does that actually have to do with the process? Why do the most powerful ancient magicians still go and evoke prayer for such a long time? And pray to God for such a long time. I mean, like I don't, I didn't find that begging very effective for me. And then when I started understanding the formulas and I started looking at them very deep, then I said, let's take this seriously because there has to be a reason. And I did find one. And I want to share that with you today. You see, when I started understanding prayer in the different traditions and the different religions, I found the formulas were actually consistent when they worked with this notion of entanglement or what some would call the law of attraction in this process of manifestation. The simple fundamental became this, that as you and I evolve, and by evolve I mean that we stop making the world outside of us the sigil of states that exist inside of us, and we become that sigil. We become the sigil for joy, the sigil for love, the sigil for happiness, for respect, for confidence, for grace, for magic. We become that sigil. We, in and of ourselves, become able to access different quantum states within ourselves that physically impact reality. And it impacts reality because you and, my, you and myself, we are all entangled. We are all, at a quantum mechanical level, still the same thing. And if you and I are in touch with ourselves, we are in touch with every other human being and every other form of consciousness on this planet. And this is very deeply powerful as an influential language. What hypnotists know today is if I speak to your conscious mind, you can argue with me. You can say, sorry, Jacques, that's crap. I don't agree with you. But if I speak directly to your unconscious, I'm bypassing your conscious mind, and it goes and agrees with me. For example, you may consciously be paying attention to me, but your unconscious right now is moving the blood through your veins. Am I right? Your unconscious right now is beating your heart. Is that true? Your unconscious is breathing for you. Can you feel that to be obvious? The truth of the matter is I'm actually kind of lying right now. You see, it's different parts of you that's doing it. But what I did there is I created a model of the world for you. In this model of the world for you, I put you here as the conscious and I created this new archetype, this new God. And I said to you, this God is called unconscious. And then I attributed things that you don't believe are under your control to it. Now, as an effective hypnotist, if I can get you to follow that train of thought, I can make this part do anything. Because this is another part of your mind that's actually in control. Now, I can swap out this name, God, uh, in unconscious, and I can say God. I can say spirit. I can say angel. I can say demon. It, it doesn't matter what I put there. If I do two things, if I give it credibility, that's evidence from your experience or from someone else's experience, and I use my language in a way that assumes, not in a way that asks, but in a way that assumes, I've succeeded in the formula. I've succeeded in the formula. 
and I can create any deep state. And here's some of the hypnotic phenomena that we experience. People are able to hallucinate things. People are able to make the, the body go completely numb and not experience anything. People are able, we've used hypnotic states like this to make people experience psychic phenomena, reading each other's minds in three minutes from people that have had no previous psychic experience to get them in three minutes to do remote re viewing and remote reading. It's, it's there. The possibilities are inside of each and every one of us. The supernatural abilities, the abilities of romance, the abilities of great business ideas. The kingdom of heaven is within you and all about you. But you need to access it. It's right here. There's no separation from you to it except your own hallucinations. Your own limiting beliefs and own separations. It's time to re-merge realities. To wake up from the dream, from the false reality that's been sold to you, and to return home. And the way you do that is very simple. Firstly, the path to this instruction is very easy. It comes from your deepest, innermost desires. You see, because when we realize we don't want the car for the car, we want it for the symbol that it represents, the feeling, wealth. We start recognizing that these are the states that exist inside of us. These are the quantum forces that are inside of us right now. And our duty as Magi is to bring these forward and to become in such vibrational harmony with it that it has no choice but to show up in our lives and bring us into alignment with that. And the idea of quantum prayer is an old technology, an old spiritual technology for doing this. And I want to give you the steps on how to do that today. The process is very simple. When we ask, the way we use language and the way we use focus determines how we feel, correct? So if I say, please God, I really want you to help me. I really want you to change my situation because it's painful. That's very noble. It's very sweet. Now, if I was filming that in a movie, I'd probably get you to buy the ticket. Yeah? But, but let's not be mistaken. That's what influencers have been using to get you emotionally riled up and wired in. And this is how the bad wiring has started. The actual thing that's happening here is you're generating an emotion that doesn't provide success. You're generating an emotional state that re-emphasizes the desperation, re-emphasizes the learned helplessness. You know, the only time those prayers actually get answered is when that person finally has an event in their life by random that makes them shift their state emotionally. And when they shift their focus, suddenly they get access to different resources. And that's when change happens. What if we can bypass that? What if we can be very direct from the beginning? Here's a different state or quality of prayer. How glorious are you, my God, the knower of all things, the keeper of all treasures, you who are the beginning and the end of all life, who kisses every lover in the heart and leads them to greater joy and more beautiful pleasure, who so freely takes away my confusion and brings me effortlessly into the heart of that for which I long. Thank you. Thank you, my God. Doesn't that feel different? 
Does that evoke a different frequency inside of your body matrix? True prayer is the combination of understanding the science, understanding the mechanics. You know, in the old days we called this the occult, but occult just meant secret. Occult science meant the secret science, which was pretty much the assumptions of what we're starting to get today when we're looking at quantum mechanics and we're looking at neuroscience. We're starting to get the science, that there's actually a real science behind this, but we're recognizing that we're not just pure logical creatures, we're emotional creatures. And as such, we have to apply the art to creation of reality. So here are those principles, here are those ideas. We always say that the house of God is in the heart of silence. There's an old statement in the, in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, one of the foremost magical schools of the turn of the, of the 1900s, that says, I am he who works in silence, and naught but silence can express. If we study the brain, and we look at the brain, and we realize that when we're in our ego and in our personality, we're here in the neocortex. But if we find ourselves in those times when you're spacing outward, those times when you're in deep meditation, and those times when you're, when you're being hypnotized, we realize that we're going into a different part of the brain, because this quality of trance, this quality of spacelessness, this quality of timelessness, all those specific things, is signs that we are in this other part of the brain, the corpus colossus. This is he who works in silence. We're bypassing, we're going straight underneath. The same way as a hypnotist goes straight and speaks to the unconscious and avoids the conscious mind because the unconscious is the one driving it. You know, it's when we're reacting in situations and arguments, we're not doing it consciously, it's unconsciously because of the conditions. I love that phrase from the Matrix when the... Um, prophetess, whatever, says to Neo, you've already made the choice, Neo. You're here to understand why you made the choice. It's about getting to that unconscious, getting to that deeper side of ourselves. That's where the secrets are. That's where the key is. That's why all the mystics, all the great teachers, Jesus died, Odin sacrificed. It's to get into the unconscious to find that old limiting idea of yourself and your universe and extract it from there. But once we're there, we're also at the most impressionable part of our psyche, the place, the womb of creation, where ideas are born and brought into life if they're nurtured. And the way that they're nurtured, the way the idea is nurtured, the new concept of reality is nurtured into being, is through the emotion, through the water. And the water was an old occult symbol for emotion, for feelings. So we need to, so what are the emotions that you are going to water your new version of reality with? Are they going to be ones of lack and desperation or are they going to be ones of excess and beauty and glory? And now ask yourself, how can I use language? How can I use perception to create those feelings inside of myself? Because by creating that, that's where the beauty comes in. That's where the alignment comes in. That's where I take my thought, which is new love, a new relationship, better relationship, or a new career, or whatever it is, and I wire into it all these new neural currents that make me unconsciously act in the right way, make me align myself and start the right conversations, be at the right place, in in the right time, because my subconscious, my superconscious, is connected to every other consciousness in the universe. So it knows who to talk to, it knows where to go, it knows what to say, 
It has access to ideas that I don't have access to consciously. And we call this the mystical state. The phenomena, the OWA, the message from God, the interpretation, the spiritual meaning, the ascension. But we all have it. It's not straight. It's not out there. It's not something that's maybe someday you'll have. It's you've got access to it now. It's real technology. And then the last key, when I recognize these things, I have this expanded model of the world. I'm accessing powerful emotions through this technology of prayer, which I'll give you examples of. I'm wiring myself into that. There's something that happens, and this is the most fundamental key. I first started noticing it when I started experiencing meditate or long extended ritual. I'd find myself at those times where I just don't want to do it. I'm tired. My body feels like it can't go on. Like we've all felt that. And then I started realizing something very, very, very interesting from the ancient traditions. In the ancient traditions, there were things like human sacrifice, which, let's be honest, in today's day and age, is not the most practical idea. You know? Um, but why was this an interesting thing? Why was the blood so sacred to these traditions? And then I looked into certain things in old spiritualism as well, where there were the manifestations of spirit through ectoplasm. You know, into, into the room, into the space where these things could have physical manifestations. The interesting thing about this ectoplasm is it comes from the blood. comes from the body. It's our energy materializing through the body into that space. That's why the thing was sacred. You didn't actually need to sacrifice anything. You know, that was actually just an arcane idea. Because this energy, this factor was in you. But when the energy starts materializing, there's an exhaustion that happens. And in this exhaustion, which we call the rapture, is when the energy goes from your unconscious into the physical world. That's the difference. That's when you're switching modes into the brain. If you can go past that level, past that level of general fatigue, where it feels like you're almost going to lose consciousness, when people have this in churches and spiritual experience, they say the Holy Spirit came down upon them. It's the rapture state. It's that moment that consciousness alters. Now, when you're more adept, you realize you don't have to do the weird passing out thing and pretend that you saw Mary. When <laughs> you're more experienced, you learn that you understand that the body's going through this and you're starting to alter consciousness and you can just push that energy into this world. This is the formula. This is the secret. This is the science. Everything after that is the result because now you've gone in so deeply into this part that we all share, this collective mind. And you've implanted a reality there. And you've wired it up with positive energy. And the universe is you and you are the universe. And just like you're trying to avoid pain and attain pleasure, so is the universe. And it's going to draw you out of pain and lead you to the pleasure of this new reality. And that's the formula. So what happens when you start applying this formula? What happens when you start experimenting with it? Well, there's one thing that we all see showing up. In the beginning, it's exciting. In the beginning, we see results very, very quickly. But then after the initial manifestation, you might find a contradiction to it. What this contradiction is, it's not... Someone saying, you're wrong, it's not working, go back to the old ways. It's the old way 
the old prayer, the old implanted reality coming up saying, this is epic, bro. This is epic. Dig this new world. But what about this old one that you told me was real? What about this old one that you said, that's it. Like people are actually a bunch of idiots. You know, everyone's in it for themselves. You're always going to be lonely. You're always going to get sick. What about that one? What about that version of reality? And now you have that same choice. You can buy into that old reality that doesn't serve you again. Because you can have, you, you're going to find social proof of it in the world. Someone else is going to go, yeah, that's it, huh? You know, worked out every now and again, but sooner or later you're going to be... Uh, or you're going to find that nostalgia, that emotion. You know, no one gets me. It's me against the world, you know? Whatever the story is you tell yourself to meet an old emotional need that was in there. And that's what we need to liberate ourselves from. This is the moment where you make the decision, relegare, to reconnect, decision to cut off from, to completely cut off from the old version of reality. To say, you know what, that was great, that was useful, that was the old world, that was the old me. It might have served something at a time. What did it serve, actually? Maybe I felt more connected to my fellow human beings because we all shared that version of reality. So what I'm really looking for is not that old version of reality, it's connection. How can I see connection in my new world? And then I take my prayer and I say, how glorious are you, my God? You who connect me to all human beings, who guide me in a spirit that transcends the limitations of this world and opens my heart to new love and sets me on a path to find my true tribe, the ones who will walk with me as I ascend the stairways of heaven into the house of joy and wealth and beauty and wisdom, and I am forever caught in its magic. And the shift happens when you truly are more in love with this new reality than you were with the old reality. And that then makes it the compelling, dominant reality. And for a while, you'll notice the other reality. But sooner or later, and I love what Seal said in an interview once. Because he had a very painful childhood. And it was very abusive and it was very dark. And one interview, when they asked him about the shift, how to go from that dark place to this new world that he lives in today. He said... I started to give myself to this new world so completely that it became the real world and the old world became the dream. Welcome. It's a brand new world out there. How are you going to create it? Thank you for your time.